It comes from 1 Chronicles 16. Several different verses in there. We're going to read verses 8 and then we're going to skip a few. 12 through 18, 34 through 36. It says, uh, 1 Chronicles 16, 8. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Remember the wondrous works that he has done. His miracles and judgments he uttered. O offspring of Israel, his servant, son of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord, our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Remember his covenant forever. The the word that he commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed as a statue to Jacob. An everlasting covenant to Israel, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Say also, Save us, O God of our salvation, and gather and deliver us from among the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Then all the people said, Amen, and praised the Lord. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Well, you may notice a couple things. Um, One, it's raining today. Two, the flu is going around. And three, I'm not Daniel Ray. Um, Because he has got the flu, um, I am stepping in for him. And... um, and so today, we're going to be talking about a song. This really, what I just read today, I don't know if it came out clear, but if you really look in First Chronicles 16, it is the song of David. And so we're going to talk about a song. Now, I'm probably the last person that would be qualified to talk about songs. Um, I remember a couple years ago, this was back in 98, um, I was on staff with Campus Outreach, and we were down at a church. They divided us into groups to go to different churches for the summer. And so I was leading the group, and I use that term loosely, uh, but I was leading the group going to this one particular church in uh, Surfside, or it was Garden City, and uh, we were up in the balcony. There were several hundred people there, and it was our first Sunday, and there was probably 15 of us uh, with Campus Outreach students and some staff. And I was sitting in the way back row, and I remember, like it happened just a few seconds ago, because of the trauma that it caused me. Uh, the pastor said, well, today we have Campus Outreach with us. Oftentimes Dean will do that and he'll say, would you please stand up? And we're up in the balcony. So we all kind of reluctantly stood up. We weren't expecting this. And um, this pastor was kind of like a Dalmatian in the sense of Dalmatian dogs. They're, they're overbred, never know what they're going to do uh, in the sense of they might bite you and they might lick your hand. This pastor was that way. Not that he'd bite you, but you just never know what he was going to do. And so you're always on edge. And so he said, stand up. So we stood up and he said, Kim's Outreach, would you please sing us a song? And uh, <laughs> I'm in the back row and they, all the students and staff turned to me and look at me to start leading this, which is just, I, I remember it, what seemed like probably two to three minutes. I'm just sitting there staring and finally I start leading us in a round of um, We Exalt Thee. And we sang We Exalt Thee, O Lord, three times and then sat down and that was it. And it was a terrible, terrible rendition of it. It was, uh, and I remember thinking, oh, well, at least 
the, the silver lining is he'll never ask us again. Of course, he's a Dalmatian, so he asks us again to the next Sunday. So um, I, I really believe I'm one of the least qualified to talk about songs, but we're going to talk about a song today. And this is the Song of David. Um, and there's many songs. There's over 184 different songs in the Bible. Most of those are in the Psalms because that's the book of songs. So 150 of those are in, in Psalms, but they're all scattered throughout. Moses had a song that he, he sang. Um, in Revelation, it has the song of the Lamb. Um, it's interesting. Um, but this is the song of David. The longest song is over 1,700 words. The shortest song in the Bible is about seven words. So we're somewhere in the middle here. And this is a song of thanks. Now, this is why I'm preaching on this today. Um, is because here we are at the end of 2014. And we want to look back at this year and give thanks. And that's exactly what David was doing here. So the theme really is the Lord is great and therefore greatly should he be praised. So the question is how to do this. Because if you look at the psalm, there's so many verbs in this. When I look at it, give thanks, make known, sing to him, glory, seek, remember, give, sing, declare, ascribe, worship, tremble, say, say all these uh, bless him. All these are verbs that we should do. And so you can get kind of overwhelmed if you read the psalm of saying, okay, well, how am I going to bless the Lord? How am I going to praise the Lord? And so I want to boil it down as, as best we can to its essence and, and, and the three points for you. And I really think each of these lead to the next. They're very intuitive and they lead to the next. So the first, the, the ways that we should uh, praise the Lord is first remember him. So we first should remember the deeds of the Lord. Remember what he's done. Secondly, and I'm going to go through these and, and expound upon this, but secondly, we should, after we remember it, we should thank him for what he's done. So remember his deeds and thank him for what he's done. And the last thing is, therefore, it will cause us to hope in the Lord. So we should remember the Lord, thank the Lord, and hope in the Lord. So let me pray for us, and we will uh, move into this. Lord Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to stand up and share uh, your scripture to share what you have. And I pray you say your, your scripture is alive and active, sharper than any two edged sword, piercing the divisions of soul and spirit of joint and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And I pray here, Holy Spirit, that you would come, you would visit us and you would discern and you would expose and you would have us be changed, not be the same as we came in today in your name. Amen. Okay, so let's talk about the first point. First, to remember. Remember the Lord. Look at verse 12. It says, oh, give thanks. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, verse 12. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and judgments he has uttered. First thing I want you to see about this is that there's two audiences listening here. So the first audience, if we think about the immediate impact of why David's writing the psalm, and this happened, David reigned about 1,000 B.C., give or take a few years. Okay, so he's a thousand years before Christ, about three thousand years ago, and so the immediate response is what what just happened with them is that the Ark of the Covenant had just been returned. I don't know if you know the story, but uh, Saul was leading Israel, and he had lots about one. He was diverted. He was. Uh, going against the Philistines, but also he was going against David. And eventually Saul died. 
But the Philistines were still this kind of nemesis. If you think about all the nemesis throughout literature, um, you know, there's, there's the Joker and Batman. There's, uh, you know, whatever your favorite sports team, whatever the rival is. Well, the Philistines were the, the nemesis of Israel. They were always there. They were the thorn in the side. And so David, um, the, if you remember, Saul had, had lost the Ark of the Covenant in this one battle. And it had gone into some of the capital, the capital cities of the Philistine area. And they put it in the temple of this god called Dagon, which was the primary god for all the Philistines. And Dagon was this god that was half man, half fish. And so he had a body of a fish, but the, the upper torso of a man. And it was in his temple and he had his hands outstretched. And they put the Ark of the Covenant in there. And the next day the priest came back and they noticed that the, 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 the idol had fallen down. And was literally bowing to the Ark of the Covenant. So they go, oh, that's, that's strange. So they set it back up. The next morning they come back in, it had fallen again. But this time its hands and its head had been broken, fallen off. And so they said, something a little fishy. No pun intended is going on. Thought you'd enjoy that, Josh. Um, so they, they, they actually, and then everybody started breaking out in boils as a result of it all throughout this city. So they said, okay, we don't want this thing. This thing is causing some problems here. They had heard about the plagues through oral tradition that happened in Egypt. So they said, let's take it to one of the other cities. And they're like, no, 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 no. We're not going to take it. So they said, so they got together all the priests of the Philistine religion and said, well, let's put it in a cart and send it back to Israel. And they did. And so through a series of things that happened, eventually the ark got back to Israel. And David's bringing it in, and he is so excited, and Israel's excited. And so he writes this psalm as a result of this song that says, Give thanks, and I want all the Levitical priests to sing it. Some say every day they would probably sing this song as they started the temple worship. So that's the immediate audience. And so I want you to think of this as almost like a, a theater, like a movie theater, and how there's sections of audiences at different levels, the first level observing what's going on happened 3,000 years ago, okay? So that's the first audience that they're calling to mind. So when David's going through all these things that God has done, they know immediately that God has just delivered them from the Philistines. And he had just brought the Ark of the Covenant, restored it so they can be the people of God. Because don't forget, the Ark of the Covenant represents the presence of God. And Israel is not Israel unless they have the presence of God there. And so they see that here. That's the first row or section of people that are listening to it. Well, the second section of people is you really have to know a little bit, a bit about Chronicles. Chronicles was written about, um, about 450, 460 years after David. And the reason it was written was because in that interim... If you remember, uh, David had Solomon, and then eventually the, the king was split, and eventually everybody got exiled. As they got more apostate, they got exiled to Babylonian, the Babylonian captivity. So they were in, they were in uh, present day, or it's not present day, but they were in Babylon as a result for 70 years. That's two generations that they were in Babylon. And then eventually they were let go. The, 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 the king of Persia or Babylon said, you can go home. And we just studied about Nehemiah and Ezra. Well, that's that time. They're coming back, but they've got lots of questions. Remember, they had been gone for two generations. They'd been in another culture for two generations, a non-Jewish culture. And any culture that assimilates others tries to erase their past. 
Um, this quote says, the most effective way to destroy people is to deny and obliterate their own understanding of their history. George Orwell said that. And so that was what had been happening for the last 70 years. So now as the exiles are coming back in, they have lots of questions because they have, you know, they had lots of hopes as they're going back to Canaan, the promised land, right? But things aren't what they were because they're in that 70 years, people had settled there. So there's foreign opposition to them being there. There's economic hardships. Crops aren't growing like they thought there were. There's internal strife going on. So they have lots of, lots of um, false hopes in things that are going on. Lots of questions. Who's the legitimate heir to the, the throne? What's the political and religious institutions that we need to institute to get back started on our nation? So is there hope for the new Davidic king? You know, we've got this, king, this lineage of kings, but who's going to be our new king? So they got all these questions. And so Chronicles was written. Some people say by Ezra and Nehemiah was written so that it could actually go into the, a little bit of the history, a primer, if you will, of the history of Israel to say, here's the cliff notes or basically being a Jew for dummies is another way to say it. That's what Chronicles is. To, to reinstitute for them to understand it. So that's the second set. Again, think through that, that movie theater. There's two sets of, or two sets of, of seats. The first set is with David, immediate audience. The second set is the returning exiles. Okay. And David's calling them to remember. Okay. Um, it's a lot like if you have dinner with old, with old friends or family and you're sitting around the dinner table and kind of reminiscing. And if, if you're reminiscing, it's not too embarrassing. You really enjoy it, right? And so uh, my parents uh, recently came in town. And the boys are running around the house going crazy, loud, and just loud noises and doing whatever. And I say, Mom, you know, was I like that? And she goes, yeah, you were more like that. And, and there was actually four of you, you know. And there's just two of them. And that helped normalize. I remember hearing that, and that helped normalize my boy's craziness, because I realized at that point, ah, oh, it's nothing new under the sun. It's happened before. I got through it. She got through it. So therefore, I can get through it. So calling the past to be remind, reminded of the past really helps us in the present. And that's exactly what, how we worship God. In the Old Testament, they would even, we've talked about this before, they would stack up stones, Right? And each of those stones rem- reminded something. As you walk by the stack of stones called an Ebenezer, that your children would say, what's that for? And you'd say, oh, let me tell you the story. And you'd call to mind these stories of the past. And we all love stories, right? We all love to hear stories, but we love to hear true stories that really are true. Because if they're true in the past, then they may be true in the future. And that's exactly what David's saying do here. Call to past what God has done. Some, some questions. Are you drifting in your own walk with Jesus because you're not taking time to remember? A good way to remember is to journal. Go to the store this year. Go to the, go to the store and you can get one for $5 just like this. And go buy a journal. And just whenever God does something, I want you to write it down. It is a way this becomes your Ebenezer that you can go back and remind yourself. I've gone back and I've reminded myself of certain things. I remember whenever I was dating Stacy on and off again. 
And some of y'all, if y'all know us, we had this on and off history, mainly because of my fickleness. And I would go back and read my journals and see how, how I loved her and why I loved her. And that helped give me assurance going forward that she's the one for me and that I need to marry her. Those journals were Ebenezer's for me. Do you have debilitating anxiety, discontentment relationships? Then you're probably not looking back enough. You must take time. And I really think as a culture, we as a culture, um, here in Indian Trail, here in North Carolina, here in North America, we don't take time and just stop. You know, we really, we really ought to, in 2015, ought to have more parties as, as, a, as a congregation, as a community. Have more parties and get together and reminisce. Remember, be reminded of what God has done in the past. That is a, that's a real party. We need to do that more often. Have times of good reminiscing contemplation. So that's remind, and, and over and over, remember the wondrous works he has done. Remember his covenant forever. A covenant is, is saying that I'm married to you. And I'm not going anywhere. And God is married to us. And he is not a man that he would lie. He can't break his promises. The second, second point is after we're reminded, it should bring us to be thankful as a result of it. Look at verse 8. It says, oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. And over and over, we see this idea of giving thanks in verse 34. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Um, and, and oftentimes, you see um, his grateful deeds that God has done, specifically battle victories or the restoration of the ark or his covenant keeping. One thing, I don't know if you all know Ann Voskamp. She's written several books that are, that are very good and been very helpful. We've gone through advent this this christmas and one of the things she suggested and that we did and has really has been really good for our family is make a thankful wall so we took some butcher paper and put it up on the wall probably six feet of it tall and wrote on wrote on it gifts that we've been given and then put a sharpie marker right next to it now make sure that doesn't go through the butcher paper onto your wall um but make sure whenever and you're right and everybody can just write on there things they're thankful for guests that come over uh, every day, just write things that you've been given. I wrote down a few of those that we've had on our wall so far. So these have been by our family or friends. It says, my dog, sunshine, mom and dad, showers, hot showers, friends, Christmas, my family, crying, Starbucks, legs to chase my dog when he runs away, sugar, our new son, Legos, the number one. Benaya put that down. That was his first one. He just learned the number one. That's beautiful. The Holy Spirit, the galaxy, my wife, pizza, pins, cake. These are all things big and small, significant, small. It doesn't matter. These are all things we're thankful for. And it's just a wall to not only remind us, but we're giving, we're reminded of what he's done, and therefore we give thanks. It's the natural outflow of being reminded of what God's done. And so as we think about our church, let's look back a little bit and give thanks. I wrote down a few of those. Different missions trips. The youth went to Belize this, this summer. 
the West Virginia missions trip, car care Saturdays, the walk in the world series that we did, uh, sermons that really help spur us on to have genuine friendships and conversation with non-Christians. That God's provided volunteers for the Union County Community Shelter, the Monroe Crisis Pregnancy, the Good News Club at uh, Stallings Elementary, Operation Christmas Child, the volunteers for the church setup and child care. Uh, thankful for the small groups that we have, that there's over 60% of you that are in small groups now and growing. That we've been able to give support to domestic and foreign missionaries Church plants in this region, Joni and Friends Ministry, people that were, we miss, but we're grateful that they were part of this congregation. Missionaries have gone on the field like the Schweplers, the Webbs, the Winfreys. People that have been a part of here that have moved out. Howard Cole, who's senior pastor now in Charleston, or Richard Brook in Men Hill, David Uran, uh, the interim pastor in Locust. Believers that have gone to be with Jesus, Bill Schott. Nancy McCurda, and Dean Faulkner's father. We can look back, and I, I challenge you to make a list of things you're thankful for that are maybe immediately good, maybe they're immediately hard, but you're thankful for. Now, let, let me just pause here, a, a bit of apologetic. When you call to mind past events this year, there, there, is, there, there can be a possibility. You really come to a wind the road. You can become cynical. When you call to mind past things. I remember this time last year, Stacy and I had come back from the Congo. We were in the Congo for five weeks to get our son. And the government, we only needed one signature. And we'd been at this for two and a half years. And we only needed one signature. And they go, I'm sorry, he's your son, but you can't take him out of the country. And I remember we came back and it was a unique Christmas. It was a very hard Christmas. It was somewhat of an empty. It felt like I described it as having your shoulder out of joint and knowing something's not quite right. And I remember while we were there for five weeks, Stacy and I really wrestled and it sounds cliche, but we really did wrestle with is God good and is God powerful. And she wrestled with specifically, she, she didn't think God was powerful enough. He's good, but maybe he just, he can't overcome the governmental forces that are at work here. And I, and I thought, I wrestled with, no, no, he's powerful enough. He's just sadistic. I really, and I, I confess that, that came out as we were going through this pain of God closing doors for whatever reason. And by the end of that, I think God, one of the reasons God kept, God kept us there for five weeks is so that we could really wrestle through the pain we were going through, the suffering we were going through, and the suffering that our kids were going through back home so that we could come to, and by the end of it, we had some resolve. You know, there's the five stages of grieving, and eventually you come to the last stage, which is you, you, you agree with the circumstances. You, you're, you're okay with it. And that's kind of where we were last December. So I realize that it's very easy to, whenever you call to mind, the past, to remember the past. Sometimes you don't immediately give thanks. But it's an opportunity to wrestle with God. I, I know there's one cynic that says, If a good and powerful God exists, he would not allow pointless evil. But because there's so much unjustified pointless evil in this world, a traditional good and powerful God cannot exist. Well, 
I, I want to give you an example. There's this guy named Alvin Plantinga. He's an uh, apologist, a believer. And he says, and I'm adapting it slightly, but if it doesn't make sense, don't blame me. It's, it's his example. But he says, if, if I tell you uh, there's, a, there's a small tent over here, just a one-man tent. And I say, hey, go, go look in that tent and see if there's a Great Dane dog in there. And you go and look in the tent and you go, oh. and you come back and say, no, there's no, no dog in there. No Great Dane dog in that small tent. Then I would have reason to, to believe your observation skills are, are correct. But if I say, now go, go look in that tent and go look for a no I don't know if y'all know what no are. Uh, but no are smaller than gnats and they bite you. And they're very small. They can pass through screen, a screen porch, uh, the screening for that. And the reason they're called no is because you don't see them. But they bite you and they suck your blood. And I remember I grew up down on the coast of Georgia. And if you ever scratched the soil, real sandy soil, they were called sand gnats. They would come out of nowhere and we'd be playing baseball. And all of a sudden, someone would slide into home and we'd all be itching as a result of it. And you don't know why, but it's these little gnats biting you. So Plantinga says, now I want you to go to that same tent and go find an Oseum. And you come back and you say, I, I don't, I, I, there's no Oseum in there. Then I would have reason at that point to doubt your observation skills. Now, what does that have to do with pain and suffering? And his whole point of this is oftentimes we're looking for the great Dane type of reasons for suffering going on in this world. That we can easily point to and say, well, okay, this is because of this reason. And the reason you're going through this is, and we can explain it. But most of God's purposes in this world are like no You can't observe it. You don't know why. Pain seems pointless, but just because you can't observe the reason why doesn't mean there's not a reason why. Just like if you go and observe the tent and you don't see a noceum, it doesn't mean a noceum's not there. So, I realize that when we call to mind the past, there's an opportunity to give thanks, but there's also an opportunity to become a cynic or to become ungrateful. And that's a wrestle you're going to have to be okay with. Doubt. We live somewhere between doubt and total certainty as Christians. And we all understand that. But you've got to wrestle with God on that. And you never will wrestle with God unless you call to mind the past. Well, the, the last section in verse 34 and 35, it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. It goes on, it says, say, it says, say also, save us, O God of our salvation, and gather and deliver us from among the nations. Really, that's speaking about hope. So that's our last point is that when we look at what God has done, in the scriptures and what he's done existentially in our own lives. And we, we give thanks to the Lord. The last thing we should do is have hope. And really using that same picture. Remember we talked about the movie theater. There's two sets of audiences. The first set is who was living 3,000 years ago with David. They overcame the Philistines. The ark was returned. The second set was the exiles returning. Well, actually there's a third set of audience in the back row. And that back row is us. Because right now we live in the, something called the now and not yet. We live in this unique time when Jesus has come. We just celebrated his birth. He came, he lived, he died, and then he was resurrected. 
And then he, he left and gave us a promise. And he said, I'm going to come back. I'm not going to come back as a baby. I'm going to come back as a king. And so we live in that period right now. We're in the back row. There may be a few more seats behind us, but there is no more row behind. There are no more sections behind us, at least here on earth. We're living in the last times. We're the third set of audience that's observing the scripture here. This is a time that we can actually garner hope. And we look to Revelation. If you, if you read Revelation, over and over they're singing songs in Revelation. It says the elders are falling down and worshiping. There's amazing creatures with six wings and all these different. It's just other world. They're worshiping God. They're singing. But it says that one day every tongue and tribe and nation will be there worshiping. So there'll be no more racism in heaven. There'll be no more tears. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more death. We won't have, there'll be no more funerals in heaven. That's pretty amazing. There'll be no more pain. We will have work, but when we plant plants, there'll be no more thorns. There'll be no weeds. You dig a hole, it won't fall back in on itself. You build a house, it won't collapse. There'll be no termites, most likely. I mean, that's pretty amazing. There'll be, I think there'll be no more mosquitoes. Or at least they won't, they won't suck our blood. Um, there's a lot to look forward to in heaven. And I want to read you this quote by C.S. Lewis. He says, hope is one of the theological virtues. This means a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not a form of escapism, as the moderns might say. Or it's not wishful thinking. But it's one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were those, just those who thought most about the next. If we have a healthy understanding of heaven and what it's going to be, it will generate energy. It will generate motivation here on earth. And most of us, I would say, probably have a... It's a wonderful life view of heaven. You remember in this, we, we, you see it every, every Christmas. But in It's a Wonderful Life, uh, George Bailey is about to commit suicide. And here's a spoiler alert if you haven't seen it for all one of you haven't. But he's on the bridge and, and they stop it and they start, the, the, then it looks like three Milky Ways start talking, right? These angels are talking and, you know, they're using 1930s kind of graphics there and they're talking to one another. And they're saying, hey, oh, do you see he's about to, someone's lost hope. And we need to send someone down there. And suddenly we get our perspective of heaven from the movies. Because in that, it, it, it gives us, leaves you with this subtle feeling that heaven is looking to earth as earth is central stage. And you just float around trying to get your wings in heaven. Well, heaven, I believe the people that have died and gone to heaven are, are mesmerized by what's in heaven. They're mesmerized by who's in heaven. We know that um, by even Jesus talking about Lazarus, who's gone into the next world. And he says, he's in the next world, is not coming here, and you can't go there. There's, there's no back and forth there. What's more exciting is what's in heaven, not here on earth. But in preparation, it should motivate us to live as children of light. Over and over in the scriptures, Paul's writings, he said, don't walk as children of darkness, but walk as children of light. 
This is an opportunity for us to flesh out Christ here on earth for the hope that we have. Keller says the Bible does not promise Christians will have a more pleasant circumstance in this life, more pleasant than non-Christians. But the Bible, the Bible promises a better life to come. And because we know we have that life to come, we can endure a lot of things here on earth. Well, uh, I want to end us in realizing that God does call us to sing. And he calls us to worship while we sing. And one of the best ways that we can worship is to remember what God has done over this past year. And as a result of it, not slide to cynicism, but to give thanks for the hard and the good things. And as a result, we have hope. We draw hope for the future. Or we we look at the past, and it gives us hope for the present and future. I want to pray for us and and have the the band come up. But I really do want to challenge you before this year ends to write down some things that God has done in your life. The good, the bad, the ugly. And give thanks for that. And see what he might do in this next year. God, thank you for this opportunity to bring the scriptures to this congregation, the Church of the Redeemer. And, uh, and I pray that we would be motivated to live fruitful lives to love our wives and and husbands and children and to love our community richly like you would, Jesus, because the hope, the promises you've you've fulfilled in the past and that you promised that that will happen in the future. Um, God, I really pray that in 2015 it would spur us on to get into the Scriptures, to get into our journals and, and write down what you've done and to give thanks and to have hope in your name. Amen.